0: Hello everyone and welcome to 1970, in specifically September 27th to October 3rd, 1970. This is the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and each week I take you on a trip down memory lane back 50 years and we report on all the hockey news from that time period. Right now, we're at the end of September, beginning of October in 1970. National Hockey League training camps are in full swing, and we have just a ton of news to talk about this week. Now, this podcast is made possible by the support of our two sponsors, uh, newspapers.com. It's the world's largest online newspaper archive, and their support is crucial to what we do here. Uh, they give us access to all the newspapers from the time period that we're exploring. Were also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company, located in beautiful downtown Port Covert, Ontario. The folks of the Breakwall produce outstanding craft beers, many of which are from recipes that were actually made back in the late 1800s at the first breweries that were located in the Lakeside City at the south end of the Welland Canal. When people can get up around and start visiting again i'd love to meet with any of our listeners for a beer and a burger at the break wall. We also like to remind you about our new patreon account at uh, patreon dot com slash hockey fifty years ago it's a uh it's a project whereby we allow listeners to subscribe to special content podcasts that we will be producing Some of the projects we're working on include uh uh Things suggested by our listeners, we put out some uh, requests for questions. We've been getting a few suggestions and they will be very special episodes. Uh, We're going to look into an episode surrounding the death of Terry Sachuk, especially how the media covered that story. And uh, I'm going to put some of my own touch on it because of my experience uh, as 50, uh, 30 years ago, sorry, in law enforcement and investigations. Lots of other uh, issues that were going on back then, and we'll be providing special content to our uh, subscribers. But this Friday podcast, in its present format, is always going to be free. Last week was a busy week as uh, National Hockey League training camps were in full swing, Uh, And some of the stories we talked about, well, contract issues was the big issue around the hockey world. Alan Eagleson made more news last week, and it's a shame we didn't see what a self-serving piece of crud this guy uh, was at that time. We learned that Bobby Orr sustained another injury, but thankfully this time it wasn't a knee and it wasn't serious. And Dave Keon, the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, he could see no imminent resolution to his contract impasse so he walked out of the Toronto Maple Leafs training camp. This week as we passed the halfway mark in uh, NHL training camps there is a lot of news and uh, here's some of the stories we're going to be covering. Gordie Howe is going to sign a new contract with the Red Wings. We'll tell you for how long and we'll tell you how much Gordy's being paid. A young Toronto Maple Leaf rookie shows some burly flashes of brilliance in the Maple Leafs uh, exhibition games, and we'll tell you a bit about him. And the player contract news continues to dominate the hockey world, including a star player seeking help from none other than National Hockey League president, Clarence Campbell, and we'll tell you all about that. There's a lot more going on as well. We have all the biggest stories, so let's get to all the hockey news from another week made more significant by the fact we're getting into the month of October and that means real games are not far away. We begin this week with the big news coming out of the Detroit Red Wings camp that Gordie Howe Arguably at this time the greatest player the National Hockey League had ever seen. He signed his 1970-71 contract with the Red Wings and there were two very notable details about Gordy's pact. Gordy will be paid for the first time $100,000 a year. Now that's a figure that most hockey fans and knowledgeable hockey people would argue he should have attained long before this And the other thing is, this contract at age 42 for Gordy is for two years. Gordy had a press conference and he talked about the amount he's being paid. And he also mentioned that this contract, the two-year deal, would be his last, meaning that he would retire from the National Hockey League at the end of the 1971-72 season. Now, Gordy said that I've always been paid quite satisfactorily but never enough Gordy said that at this time though he could honestly say it's quite enough and that he has uh not telling everyone exactly what he's being paid but the word leaked out probably from uh Red Wings owner Bruce Norris that it's a hundred thousand dollars a year now general manager Sid Abel saying that it was uh A two-year contract and it would be his last commented at the presser that he had reservations on Gordy's statement he says he'll play these two more years and he'll probably come back at the end of that and play two more Gordy added that the reason this was just a two-year contract is because he wanted to save a little love his strength in his legs for post-retirement golf The aforementioned Detroit Red Wings owner, Bruce Norris, who's been accused of paying how far less than he's worth for many years, had this uh, somewhat hollow comment on the contract. Bruce said, uh, Gordy deserves more than we can give him and really more than the league can give him for all that he has done for the Red Wings and all he has done for hockey. But it doesn't mean he'll give him any more money. $100,000 is a pittance to a guy like Bruce Norris. Gordie Howe deserved probably twice that, even back in 1970. There was actually a lot of other stuff going on in the Red Wings training camp this week as well. Coach Ned Harkness revealed that he's... Just about ready to settle on a backup goaltender for number one man Roy Edwards, and that backup will probably be 21-year-old Jimmy Rutherford, who made his uh, junior career with the Hamilton Junior Red Wings. But that was after sponsorship, so he was drafted by the Red Wings uh, after that. Next in line with right, uh, almost neck and neck with Rutherford was Jerry Gray, another Hamilton graduate, and Harkness said he planned on giving Gray a couple games more this upcoming week to see if he could make a late push for the job. New coach Ned Harkness also commented on how he was pleased at the hustle and enthusiasm that the Red Wing players had shown during training camp but the way he worded his statements would make one think that he figured he was the person solely responsible for the quality of their play. Savior Ned said this to Jack Barry of the Detroit Free Press. They've been really playing well for me. They've really been hustling and skating. It's training camp, Ned. They're fighting for jobs. They all ought to be doing that. And it's not because of you. But Ned Harkness, as history would reveal really had a skewed version of what hockey should be all about. And we will cover that as time goes on over the next couple of years. Harkness, uh, in a conversation with Jack Berry of the Detroit Free Press, one of the best hockey reporters in the 1970s, uh, he, he told Berry that he planned on continuing with this uh, uh, strange plan of using Gordy Howe as a defenseman. And he said he's going to keep six rear guards on the Red Wings roster. That means one of Bob Falkenberg or Jerry Hart is going to make the team. And it looks like first-round draft pick Serge Lajeunesse, who played for the Montreal Junior Canadiens last year, looks like he's made the team as well. He's been hitting and uh, been very robust in his play. And he's been used both on the wing and as a defenseman, which is how the Montreal Junior Canadians used Lajeunesse last year as a first-round pick, he's given a good shot at sticking with the Red Wings right off the bat. Harkness also praised the work of centers Freddie Speck, Rick McCann, and Al Carlander, not really familiar names to Red Wings fans, but they're vying for a final center spot. Uh, there were actually two spots, but Gary Unger has recovered remarkably well from that severely bruised back. He's returning to workouts this week. So that means there's just one spot left on the Red Wings for those three. To make the team Carlander uh, is a college player And has shown well in uh, trials with the Red Wings And he's given the inside track At that final Red Wings uh, spot And one more item from the Red Wings They got some good news this week On defenseman Dale Rolfe On the weekend uh, Dale suffered what appeared to be A very painful back injury at the time And it was feared That uh, according to trainers Dale had quote slipped the disc X-rays, however, were negative in that respect, and treatment over the weekend from uh, a chiropractor uh, seemed to get Dale back in shape, and uh, he was on the ice as the week began and looking very strong on the Red Wings' blue line. Jackie Gordon is the new coach of the Minnesota North Stars But just because he's new to the team doesn't mean he hasn't seen what this team's big problems have been since their inception in 1967. Gordon's early impression of the Stars training camp was that there is an acute lack of offense, a fact that plagues nearly every National Hockey League expansion team. In their first six exhibition games, the North Stars have managed a paltry 15 goals. North Stars do have a few bright spots in training camp and one of them is a rookie goaltender by the name of Jill Gilbert. He built up a string of over 150 consecutive shutout minutes in exhibition games before the Maple Leafs finally got two goals by him as the North Stars dropped a 2-1 decision to Toronto. Jobert is a former London Knights junior, and he's probably been the best on North Stars netminder in training camp. But Jills is realistic. He's got a good outlook. He understands that Caesar Maniego and Gump Worsley, both very well-proven veterans, aren't likely to be moved out by uh, Coach Gordon or General Manager Ren Blair, and he'll probably be starting the season in the American Hockey League with the Cleveland Barons. Ren Blair, known as the Bird by those who are close to him, by the way, began the week with a very full plate of work on his own general manager duties. He got Joey Johnson and Dick Redmond, a left winger and a defenseman, under contract, leaving just uh, Danny O'Shea, Murray Oliver, Jude Druin, Fred Barrett, and Buster Harvey yet to sign deals. Uh, they don't anticipate any problem getting O'Shea and Harvey under contract. Barrett has been making noises that he thinks he should be paid uh funds probably close to what Dale Talon and Gilbert Perot are getting. Uh, Murray Oliver, however, is being represented by Pro Sports Inc. of New York City, and that's not a good thing for any general manager in the National Hockey League. They don't like that organization, and Jude Druin has just been playing poorly. He's got a bad attitude, but the North Stars are counting on him heavily, and they're hoping that the kid comes around. We'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. We can't have a podcast without something about Derek Sanderson, can we? Well, we've got news on Derek, who of course, at the end of last week, we told you was suspended by the Bruins for taking off for a few days to Montreal to engage in a promotional activities and a uh, shooting of a movie he's got a minor role in. Well, a seemingly contrite and apologetic Derek returned to the Bruins training camp after uh, spending those few days in Montreal and announced uh, that he wanted to be back with the team. The Bruins, upon Derek's arrival back in London, Ontario, said that the suspension issued the previous Thursday would be lifted, but Derek would not participate in the upcoming weekend exhibition games, General Manager Milt Schmidt said that Derek Anderson would be subject to some form of discipline, but Milt wouldn't elaborate on just what that discipline might be. Now, Derek still hadn't signed his contract at this point, And here's what he had to say about this entire situation. Derek starts off by saying, I just wish we could come to terms so I could erase everything like that from my mind. Derek said he just wants to play hockey and that uh, he reported that he is at wide variance with the amount of money he thinks he should be paid, but now he believes he's close to signing. However, Derek went on to say that he really didn't know because all this is being handled by his agent, lawyer Bob Wolf of Boston. About his absence last week from the Bruins training camp, Derek said, I was wrong about not reporting back on Thursday morning. And then he qualified why he didn't report back. When I found the flights were not available, I should have tried the trains. I certainly was wrong in not phoning coach Tom Johnson, who gave me permission to go to Montreal in the first place. Derek went on to say that he would take any discipline that the management thinks is fair and the worst thing that a player can do is to think he's bigger than the game. Derek went on to say that uh, he did not want to alienate his fellow players with any conduct that was detrimental to the team and he didn't want to do anything against the people who support him. That being the fans in Boston and the people who pay his salary, the Bruins management. But then in true Derek Sanderson style, he ended his statement to say, I don't want to cause any more aggravation, but I can't completely, absolutely Guarantee that. And then he walked off the podium with a smile. I don't know how sincere Derek Sanderson's really be with all this. I don't know if he even believes himself anymore. <laughs> Well, the Bruins coach Tom Johnson uh, with the rest of his team that's not named Eric Sanderson. Tom is really very happy with his goalkeeping so far in training camp. He's got two very reliable veterans in Jerry Cheevers and Ed Johnson and both reported to training camp in outstanding physical condition. But what's really interesting is a 24-year-old netminder by the name of John Adams is pushing both of them for a spot on the team. Tom had an excellent observation though on why it seems all over the NHL the goalies have been playing so well in the early going and really it makes a lot of sense and Tom Johnson would know about this because of the guys he has on his team. Tom said that he felt the shooters... Around the league, and especially on the Bruins, are having trouble adjusting to the new National Hockey League rules that limit the curvature of the hockey stick blades, and once they all make the required adjustments. The net minders are in for a rough time and the pucks are going to go into the net at a similar rate as they did in previous seasons. Maybe, however, though, a couple of goaltenders' lives will be be saved by these crazily dipping and curving shots that come off the banana blades. See, Toronto Maple Leafs split a pair of exhibition games with Minnesota going into uh, this week and the encouraging part was that it was the younger players on the Maple Leafs roster who were the best on the ice in both of those games. One player who particularly stood out was a young center by the name of Daryl Sittler, who was selected by the Maple Leafs from the London Knights of the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series in the June Amateur Draft. Sittler scored both goals in the Maple Leafs 2 1 win over the North Stars on the weekend, and he was by far the best player on the ice for either team. He was playing on a line with fellow rookies Brian Marshenko and Bob Liddington. Hardly household names. The venerable uh, hockey writer for the Toronto Star, Red Burnett, suggested that Sittler cannot be kept off this Maple Leafs team he's going to make it and if he doesn't line up at center where the Leafs are fairly well set the team can certainly use him at left wing he's that good a skater and he has a very, very good shot as witnessed by one of the goals that he beat former teammate Jill Gilbert in that 2-1 Toronto win over the North Stars. Darryl was a great scorer in London. Last year, he had 42 goals, 48 assists for 90 points in just 54 OHA Junior A games. Now, it's usually uh, the case in amateur draft picks. Uh, teams usually say that the player they got in the first round, they were shocked to see, shocked that the such player would be available at the time they came to pick. And Jim Gregory was no uh, exception to that rule. When he got Sittler, uh, he claimed to be surprised that he was available at the number eight pick. But in this case, I think that was actually true. Uh, I had a conversation with Jim Gregory way back in 1970 before that amateur draft took place in our hometown of Dunville, Ontario. Uh, we were A group of us were talking to Jim, and we asked him about players the Maple Leafs would like to get in the draft, and he listed several he'd love to have that he thought might not go first or second overall, and he named Daryl Sittler, Reg Leach, and Rick McLeish. But he added that he didn't figure any of those guys would be around, quote, when we pick at number eight. Of course it remains to be seen just how well Sittler will do against bona fide NHL players once the uh, real games begin and the season is underway but based on the he's shown in training camp and the exhibition games the kid looks like a keeper. Uh, it, it's really interesting you know how Uh, we spoke with Jim Gregory at that high school sports banquet he attended in May of 1970. And we were talking about the future of the Maple Leafs. We didn't know where the Leafs uh, fortunes were going. We were all mostly Toronto fans. We had high hopes for Toronto and for hometown boy, Jim Gregory. But this is a guy, an excellent pick that Gregory made in that draft. Still with the Maple Leafs, sort of, I guess. Uh, the National Hockey League continued to experiment with that new free face-off rule that no one, especially the goalkeepers, seems to like. One of the games in which the experiment was to continue was a Maple Leaf exhibition game coming up this week. And it seemed that that was one that veteran goalie Jacques Plant was scheduled to be between the pipes for the Maple Leafs. Jacques said he had no intention of going along with this particular silly new feature that the National Hockey League wants to introduce into its game. Plant told several hockey writers this week that if the new rule is called against the Leafs and a free faceoff is awarded to the opposing team while he's playing, he will simply step aside and vacate the net he's defending. You know, I really hope that it comes to that in one of these games, and I'm praying that somebody gets footage of it. Plot was very talkative this week, but then again... If you know Jacques Plante, when is he never very talkative? Well, he also revealed that his long-standing issues with the air quality in Toronto is still giving him problems. Jacques says he's scheduled to enter a Toronto hospital later in October to undergo testing to try and isolate the specific cause of the aggravation of his asthmatic condition. There is some news on the Dave Keon contract impasse as well for this week. In a very interesting move, Dave telephoned National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell in order to receive some sort of assistance in revolving his differences with the Toronto Maple Leaf Hockey Club. Now Dave has been asking for $125,000 a year. Campbell was in Toronto to take part in arbitration hearings for about a half dozen NHL players. Keon wouldn't elaborate on what he talked to Campbell about only saying that he wants to meet personally with Clarence and he wants to speak to him unofficially which I think means off the record and nothing that uh, would be discussed would be binding on either side. Dave did say that he would submit to arbitration but only if certain conditions which he declined to specify would be met. Keon hadn't spoken to Leafs general manager Jim Gregory for over a week at that point but by the end of the week that we're covering now, Thursday to be exact, Dave returned to the Leaf workouts although he did not sign a contract right away. The Toronto Star's Frank Orr said that Dave was very close to signing a new deal with the lease, but no contract by the weekend had been agreed upon by either side. By the way, uh, those four are actually six players that were in Toronto to, uh, have their arbitration cases heard uh they uh four of them had were settled on Wednesday they were the Bay Area Seals Bill Hickey and the Flyers Hillman brothers Larry and Wayne Flyers also had goalie Doug Favel go to arbitration and his situation was disposed of rather handily as well uh there were still three Seals players whose uh Contracts had not been heard of yet, their arbitration hearings, and they were goalie Gary Smith and defenseman Harry Howell and Carl Vadney, and these are three very key members of the Oakland Seals. Well, if you've been around hockey for a long time, you know that sometimes a well-timed comment by a coach can make all the difference for a player, sometimes for the better, sometimes not. Well, Montreal Canadiens coach Claude Ruel last week complained, and some referred to it as whining. Uh, he complained about his goalkeeping for the Canadiens, specifically uh, incumbents Rogatian Vashon and Phil Neer. Neither goalie, especially the three-year veteran Vashon, had actually performed particularly well either in team scrimmages. Or the first few exhibition games? Well, Rogie Vashon seemed to take Ruel's admonishments to heart. And in the very next exhibition game he played, which was against the powerful Chicago Blackhawks, right in Chicago Stadium, Rogi came up with a sterling performance, making 27 saves in blanking, which is a fait accompli, the future Western Division champions, by a score of 3 to nothing. To say that Vashon was actually fighting for his job at this point would not be an understatement. Ruel had expressed bitter disappointment in his play at training camp and this seemed to be one of those situations that seemed to be so common with the pudgy Habs bench boss. Once you're in his doghouse you're not going to leave it anytime soon. You're going to have to basically perform miracles to show Ruel that he was wrong about you. Well, that's what Rogie was trying to do in this game, but he better not rest on his laurels. It's going to take more than one fine performance to get Ruel off Rogie's case. He, the kid, could end up eventually getting traded. And if you were in uh, Montreal and at the Canadiens' workouts and training camp, you saw a big, gangly kid playing goal for the Canadiens. Ah, that goalie is the former Canadian national team, former Cornell University netminder, Kenny Dryden, who's a native of Toronto. Well, he's looked very strong in the Habs' workouts so far. They're going to let him play in a couple of exhibition games. And there are some, like Milt Dunnell of the Toronto Star, who feel that this kid could wind up winning the Montreal backup netminding job. Now That remains to be seen, how a college goalkeeper can fare against NHL shooters, but uh, there are people who are beginning to believe that he's capable of doing the job. One National Hockey League team showing renewed confidence in their training camp was the Philadelphia Flyers, and they even went to the dizzying heights of defeating the Stanley Cup champion Boston Bruins in an exhibition game. General Manager Keith Allen, always an optimist, was actually being quite realistic about the team's prospects this season. After uh, discussing the improvements in his team at the uh, Quebec City training camp of the Flyers, Ed Conrad of the Philadelphia Daily News asked him if there was any chance after beating the Stanley Cup champions that the Flyers could capture that elusive trophy this season. Well, Keith just rolled his eyes, he looked skyward, not even dignifying the query with a response. Allen, along with all the other Western Division general managers, realizes the Chicago Blackhawks, moving to the West this season, are going to be in first place, and that the other teams are just battling for other playoff spots. But in defense of Ed Conrad, that question wasn't that far out of place. It was asked right after they'd beaten the Bruins 2-1 and showed excellent defense against that Boston club. I just don't think that Eddie Conrad quite anticipated the response or lack thereof that he was about to receive from Keith Allen. Out in Calgary, Alberta, where the Vancouver Canucks expansion team is conducting its training camp, it seems like team management was getting a bit frustrated over not being able to win a lot of exhibition games. Now, you got to remember, they're in their first year. Nobody expects them to perform uh very much of anything this year. But General Manager Bud Poyle and Coach Hal Laco were still preaching patience. And that, more than anything, was what Vancouver fans would have to uh, have for this first season in the NHL. Coach Laco did have an interesting kid line in one exhibition match. He had general manager Bud Poyle's son, David, line up at center between a couple of guys by the name of Brent Taylor and Billy McFadden. While they weren't completely uh, out of place, realistically, none of these three players had much of a shot at making the Canucks at this point in their career or the Canucks history. As the uh, training camp progressed, there were a couple of disturbing, uh, disappointing, I guess, Notes that uh, came across Coach Lako's desk and General Manager Poyle's attention was drawn to. Uh, first draft pick Dale Talon, heralded as a budding superstar, was not going to be the instant success that Gilbert Perot seemed destined to become in Buffalo. Talon was being used at center and then all of a sudden he was shifted to left wing and, uh, that's where Scout Peanuts O'Flaherty, the Canucks actually Chief Scout, who was mainly responsible for looking at uh, Talon, Peanuts O'Flaherty says that's where Talon will eventually line up in the National Hockey League. What they need to do with the kid is give him a position, let him play the position, and let him get good at it at the National Hockey League level. At the those arbitration hearings we told you about, uh, NHL President Clarence Campbell was asked about how he thinks the Canucks will do in their first season and here's what Clarence had to say. Vancouver will have the most spectacular start of any new club ever in the NHL. That is in terms of public support. That's a pretty heady expectation until you realize that old Clarence isn't talking about the on ice product that the uh, Canucks are going to put forth he's talking about dollars and cents and after all isn't that all that really matters to the big wigs in the NHL these days The New York Rangers finally beginning to make progress with their four holdouts. Brad Park, Walter Kachuk, Jean Rattel, and Vic Hadfield all finally agreed to contract arbitration. Actually, we mentioned last week that Park and Kachuk had agreed, and the other two veterans, Rattel and Hadfield, decided that they would take part in the process this week as well. But the contract talk continued to dominate the hockey news more than a couple of sports writers were now in the habit of blaming the large contract of former Maple Leafs and now Rangers defenseman Tim Horton for all the trouble Horton a year ago agreed to a contract with the Maple Leafs calling for at least $80,000 for two years Uh, The Maple Leafs found it necessary to trade Tim to the Rangers at the March trading deadline as they began to rebuild that faltering hockey team. New York writers uh, cited the large remuneration given to Horton as the basis for the exorbitant demands made by the four Ranger holdouts and other NHL players, but General Manager Emil Francis disputed that notion emphatically and he spoke to an Ottawa columnist, bob meller and he talked about what really was going on with the four holdouts francis initial statement to meller said about pro sports inc who represented those four rangers quote those guys are leeches just leeches that all and that's what i told them when i threw them out of the office and told them to take off although i don't think emil used the word take Francis then told Bob Meller that even the four players that were represented by Pro Sports had a disdain for the company, pointing out the fact that the four did not choose anyone with anything to do with Pro Sports to represent their side in the arbitration hearings. And he says that tells you something, according to uh, his version of the events. What the cat doesn't mention is that all four knew that if anyone from pro sports were chosen by them, the arbitration deal would be off. Francis would never agree to that. Francis said that pro sports uh, gained influence over the players long before Tim Horton came to the Rangers. He said those guys were working on the players as far back as last january and at that stage we didn't even know tim horton was going to be available or that he would ever end up with the rangers francis said that pro sports was not only working on the four players that eventually were represented by them but he accused him of trying to get all the players on the team under their umbrella so they could quote gang up on management poor defenseless hockey management people Francis also defended his deal to bring Tim Horton to the Rangers saying that while it was a big gamble at the time it paid off because the team made the playoffs despite having missed defenseman Brad Park with an injury for so long. Uh, That injury did cripple the Ranger blue line and Horton added the experience that they need but then Francis made what he felt was his most important point during this interview with bob meller and he blamed the player and their reps for all the trouble francis said the whole point is and i think it's important that horton put money in those guys pockets Francis went on to say that there's a hell of a difference between finishing fifth and making the playoffs and it means more money right away but something else too. If the Rangers hadn't made the playoffs the bargaining position of those guys would not be as strong as it was going into training camp. They ought to remember that according to Francis. And one more tiresome note. It's tiresome for me talking about contracts, at least the uh, contract disputes. But one more note. At least four of the players that were going to have arbitration this week for their contracts, they would have Clarence Campbell and Alan Eagleson, Executive Director of the National Hockey League Players Association, serving on the arbitration committee that would mean those two men would have to come together and agree on a proper contract for a player you have to wonder how those two guys supposedly on directly opposing sides of the arguments could possibly come together to agree on what a player should be paid if you know Clarence Campbell you'd have to be reasonably assured that he would be very reticent to back down on what he figures any player is worth. So maybe it would be Eagleson who would be more inclined to see things the owner's way. This might have seemed like a good idea at a time. In fact, it did seem like a good idea at a time. But again, with hindsight being twenty twenty, we look back and we have to wonder. And this is the kind of Contract news. I'd like to report on one player who did agree to his new contract this week and he's an important one. Goalie Roger Crozier of the Buffalo Sabres. Roger agreed to a two-year deal with the Sabres. Terms of which of course were not released. Crozier was acquired from the Red Wings in that controversial move at the June meetings when the Sabres drafted Tom Webster from the Bruins who weren't really happy about that and then traded him to the Red Wings even up for Crozier without a top NHL goalie and Roger Crozier is that the Sabres would not be very competitive all this year I went to a lot of those games in the first few seasons in Buffalo part of a group that had season tickets and a lot of nights if Roger Crozier wasn't playing I almost felt like I didn't want to watch the game Sabres also got another man under contract this week, or should I say another kid. They signed highly touted first overall pick, Gilbert Perrault. Uh, He signed what was said to be a multi-year contract, probably three years, and they didn't announce the money part unlike the Vancouver Canucks who let everybody uh, who would listen know that Dale Tallon was getting over $50,000. Perot was represented in his contract talks with the Sabres by his brother-in-law, and apparently he did a good job negotiating a satisfactory deal for the young superstar. Perot has been playing on a line with fellow rookies Kevin O'Shea and Jerry Meehan. Surrounded by talent like that, It'll be some kind of miracle if this kid can crack double figures in either goals or assists in his first NHL season. Sabres also made a trade this week. They sent Craig Cameron, a right winger, who was their 12th pick in the expansion draft, to the St. Louis Blues for another right winger, a fellow by the name of Ronald Chester Goings-Anderson. Buffalo fans are familiar with Ron Anderson. He spent a few weeks with the American Hockey League Bisons last summer. At the St. Louis Blues training camp in Ottawa, general manager Scotty Bowman isn't very happy with the play of his defenseman. Now Bowman replaced himself as coach over the summer with former team captain defenseman Al Arbor and it seems Bowman and Al the coach still wish they had Al the defenseman on the ice for the club. The Blues have been terrible without the puck in their exhibition games, and Bowman said there's going to be some changes if things don't pick up very soon. Scotty said we're ripe for a deal. I've talked with several clubs, and things are in the wind. One of those things that could be in the wind would be a deal with the Detroit Red Wings for veteran defenseman Bobby Bond. We told you a while ago about an incident at the National Hockey League's June meetings where Bobby actually overheard his Red Wings executive discussing a trade which would send Bond to the Blues. And Bobby wasn't happy about it. So you know these two teams have already spoken uh, the Red Wings seem to be a bit down on Bobby, whom they acquired from Oakland a couple years ago. And trading bond is a distinct possibility. And our last story this week, uh, the National Hockey League brass seems to be very concerned about gambling. Unless, of course, the particular form of gambling involves horses and not hockey. The NHL has taken steps to reduce the chances of skullduggery going on around National Hockey League games in Montreal. Uh, it seems that those entrusted to uh, timekeeping and recording of such things as the times of goals have been monkeying with the official recording of those numbers in order to benefit those whom they know have bought last goal time tickets uh, sports pool tickets so Clarence Campbell has now put in a place in Montreal where employees at the forum will rotate their game official jobs and their positions for any particular game will not be announced until the very last minute before the game starts yeah that was really a thing in 1970 pro line anyone And so that's our show this weekend. What did we learn as the month of September drew to a close and October dawned? Well, we learned that National Hockey League arbitration involving Allen Eagleson and Clarence Campbell was suddenly okay for both players and owners. We questioned that. Something about it just didn't sit well with us. We learned that Gordie Howe would be around the NHL for the next two years and he's finally getting a decent wage from Skin Flint owner Red Wings Bruce Norris. And we found that Maple Leafs goalie Jacques Plante has a unique way to deal with the new free faceoff rule. And we can't see if he actually manages To pull that off. Next week, uh, we have Dave Keon finally signing with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and we'll have all the details on how that came to pass. And a pretty interesting thing that uh, we're going to give to you. Many of the newsmen uh, covering the National Hockey League, as the season was ready to start on October 9th, offered their predictions on how the 70-71 season would unfold, and we're going to give you the highlights of all that, uh, the great writers around the NHL saying how they thought their teams locally and across the league would fare and this was pretty interesting stuff especially in an expansion season and of course we're going to have much much more. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. I can't thank him enough for everything he does. He puts a ton of work into this to make it sound as reasonably professional as it is. He's a true professional himself. The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto indie rock group, the Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our intro and exit music. They're back in the studio. Uh, They're going to be recording a new CD soon. We can't wait for that to show up. Our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and, of course, the many publications found at newspapers.com. You can find us on Twitter at Hockey 50 years on Facebook under 50 years ago in hockey and we have a wordpress site at hockey50yearsago.com our podcast is now on YouTube as well as anywhere else that fine podcasts can be found we thank everyone who tunes into our show each week Uh, more additions are being considered and we'll have news on them as time goes on we're truly enjoying bringing this to you Uh, for myself personally, it's kept me going during this uh, last few crazy months that the world's been experiencing. I don't know what I'd do without this. So at least somebody, myself, is getting some benefit from this. We thank you very much again. And on that note, we will see you next time.